Good morning, church. I love you. I appreciate you. I, I don't remember if I've shared this story with you or not, but uh, it illustrates what a nerd I am, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. Uh, my, Holly and I, when we got married, uh, we went to L.A. for our honeymoon. A kid from northwest rural Kansas, California, anywhere in California was about as exotic as I could possibly imagine at the time. It was the first time I'd seen the ocean. I was super excited. I, I planned out everything for the week. I mean everything. I had a plan. I had an agenda. I had an itinerary. Everything I wanted us to see, everything I wanted us to do. I'm pretty sure I had a three-ring notebook, you know, with all of the printed out papers in there. And this was prior to smartphones and GPSs, so I had to, remember MapQuest? I went on MapQuest and mapped out everything that, that we were going to do and how to get there and all of the step-by-step -step directions. And there was this, uh, of course, we were in the L.A. area, and so there was this uh, movie set that was used for a lot of westerns for movies and TV shows, and I thought that would be super cool to check out. Holly didn't think that that would be super cool to check out, but I thought that would be super cool to check out, and I had all the directions planned out. It was somewhere up in the hills of around Malibu, and I say somewhere up in the hills because we never did find it, and we were... <laughs> Drive it. You know, I mean, back then when you had a piece of paper printed out and you took a wrong turn, it didn't have the rerouting animation. <laughs> didn't do that. You just were lost. It was, you had to go back and try again. So we drove around in the hills for a, much longer than Holly was interested in driving around in the hills looking for this place. Never did find it. And, and I was so disappointed and frustrated. And now I look back on that and I think, why were you frustrated? Why were you frustrated? I mean, you're with your new wife. You're, we rented a convertible. We had the top down. It was sunny California, wind blowing it. I had more hair back then. You know, I mean, it was, it was an awesome day. But I was frustrated because things didn't go according to plan. Because I had a plan. I had an agenda. I had an itinerary. And my itinerary got messed up. My plans got interrupted. And so it was frustrating. I, I believe in plans. I love plans. I love schedules. I love calendars. It helps keep my life organized. But how do we react? And how do we respond when things don't go according to plan? When things get interrupted? I would suggest to us that part of how we react and how we respond when our plans get interrupted is determined by how closely we are walking with Jesus. Our plans are going to get interrupted. If you have plans, if you have an agenda, if you have an itinerary, if you have things on your calendar, there are going to be moments where things don't go according to plan. How are you going to react and respond. This month we've been talking about slowing down in order to catch up with Jesus. And I just kind of want to review where we've been over the course of this series. Slowing down in order to catch up with Jesus means things like this. Number one, we said it means not being in a hurry to have your hunger satisfied, your thirst quenched, your goals achieved, your expectations met, or your desires fulfilled. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness without eating. 
and he still wasn't in a hurry. Number two, we said that slowing down in order to catch up with Jesus means helping people even when it's messy, even when it's a hassle, even when it's inconvenient. We said number three, it means knowing when to say no to someone's expectations so that you can say yes to God's mission. There were people that wanted Jesus to to stay in a certain place, to to be with them and to not go anywhere else, but Jesus knew he had to say no to them so that he could say yes to God. Number four, it means withdrawing often to pray. Withdrawing often to pray. Number five, we said it means having a weekly routine that includes rest and renewal and relinquishing of control to the Lord. I want us to spend one more lesson, one more text where we really consider what does it look like? What would it mean? What would it feel like? What would it be like for you or I to walk with Jesus at the pace of life at which he walked? We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40 if you have your Bible. It says, now when Jesus returned, he returned to Capernaum. The crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. There were all of these people waiting for him, anticipating him. All of them, I'm sure, had questions they wanted to ask, things they wanted to hear, maybe healings they wanted to experience. They all were demanding something, probably, of Jesus. And you probably know what that feels like, don't you? To have all sorts of expectations and people waiting for you and things that need to that you need to do, agendas that you have. And if, if I was there with Jesus... You know, if I was one of his disciples, I I probably would be like, okay, Jesus, you got five minutes with each person. No more than five minutes. You got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do that. But it seems like one way we might put it is that Jesus' only agenda on this day with these people, his only agenda was simply to be available to them. what What if we had that as our agenda? What if that was your agenda when you're here at worship? What what if that was your agenda when you were home with your spouse or with your kids or with your grandkids or with your nieces or nephews? What if you were that way with your coworkers? What if you were that way with your neighbors where you, you simply set aside time and your only agenda was simply to be available to people? See, if that was our agenda, if our agenda was, I'm just going to be available to my kids. I'm just going to be available to my spouse. I'm just going to be available to my brothers and sisters. There's really no way that you can interrupt someone if their only agenda is to be available. And so Jesus is here with these people. He's teaching them. He's spending time with them. And something happens that we would probably perceive as an interruption. And I want us to see how he handles what we might perceive as an interruption. Verse 41, there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. I want you to see this from a couple of different perspectives. On the one hand, first and foremost, Jesus went with Jairus. He went with him because, again, his agenda was to be available to people. 
And so he goes with Jairus because Jairus needs him and he's desperate for Jesus to come and to heal his only daughter who he knows is dying and without Jesus' intervention, she will die. And so he's begging Jesus to come. He's desperate for Jesus to come. But Jairus isn't the only desperate person in Capernaum that day. There are lots of desperate people and they're pressing in around Jesus. Now, I wonder, we don't know, the text doesn't say, Luke doesn't tell us, but I wonder the pace at which Jesus and Jairus walk through the crowd. Because I imagine their pace was a little bit different. And I imagine if you were Jairus and you were desperate for Jesus to come with you to your house, your pace would be hurried, wouldn't it? We would be rushed. We'd be like, let's go. Come on. Don't slow down. Get out of our way. Stop stopping us. Stop preventing us. Stop delaying us. We have somewhere to be. Our needs are desperate. What we have going on here is desperate. None of you have nearly as pressing of an issue as I do. Get out of our way. We're coming through. I imagine that's the way I would be if it were my daughter if I were Jairus and I was walking with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't, even, even in that situation, doesn't seem to be walking at that sort of pace. Look at verse 43. And there was a woman who had had a and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She was in a desperate situation too, wasn't she? For 12 years, much like we talked about the man with leprosy, much like that man, she was ritually, ceremonially unclean. Can't touch other people, can't be touched by other people. In a desperate situation, for 12 years, not only medically, but religiously and socially in a desperate situation. And she desperately wants Jesus, and she knows this man can heal me. But she doesn't want to just touch him because she knows that would be inconvenient for him. She doesn't want to interrupt him. She doesn't want to disrupt him. She doesn't want to delay him. And so she thinks, if I could just... Just touch the fringe of his garment. That'll be enough. I need what he has to offer me, but I don't want to stop him. I don't want to delay him. I don't want to interrupt him. Who am I to stop him or delay him or make him unclean? Look at verse 45. After she touched him, Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, I mean, just picture this in your mind. They're pressing through the streets and there's all kinds of people all around them. The people are touching everybody. There's, there's all of these people all around them. And Peter says, Master, the, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And I just kind of want to stop there for a second and think, now what if you're Jairus that's trying to get to the house because your daughter's dying? And there's all of these crowds of people pressing in on you. And the person who's coming to heal your daughter just stops and says, wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, stop. Hey, everybody stop. Somebody touch me. And if you're Jairus, you're thinking, lots of people touched you. Are you kidding me? Let's go. Why are you stopping? Why are you delaying? 
Our journey's being interrupted here. There are more important things. Who cares who touched you? Who cares about anything except what I have going on? Who cares about anything when my daughter's life is on the line? Why are you stopping? Why are you having this conversation? Why are you asking this question? Why are you stopped in the street? But Jesus is concerned for everyone in the crowd. For everyone in the crowd. Isn't that amazing? He has, he has an even greater concern than Jairus does. Not, not just for the woman, but for everybody. He loves them all. More than you or I could possibly imagine. He loves them all. And when he feels the power go out from him and heal someone, he says, I want to know that story. I want to hear that story. I want to hear what's going on in that person's life. And so he stops and he says, we're not going anywhere until we figure this out. We're not going anywhere until I hear this story because he knows that everyone's story is important. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she, had, she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed, how she had been immediately healed. I don't know, I mean, how much of her story did she tell? Did she tell about the physicians right there on the ground, weeping, sad and happy and joyful and overwhelmed and confused and excited? Did she, did she tell Jesus the whole story of what it had been like for the last 12 years, unable to touch or to be touched? Did she tell him what it felt like to be an outcast? Did she tell him about how she spent all of her money on the doctors and none of them had been able to help her? How much of her story did she tell him right there in the street? And meanwhile, Jairus is waiting, waiting. There's, there's important things to get to. You, you promised me first. You were coming with me first. Come on, we've heard the story. Let's move on. And Jesus patiently listens to her and loves her and says to her, verse 48, he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I love that he uses the word daughter because this story is all about daughters, isn't it? It's all about daughters. It's about Jairus' love for his daughter and how he desperately wants his daughter to be healed. But Jesus is saying to this woman, she's my daughter too. She's my daughter too. And the way you feel about your daughter and how much you want your daughter to be healed and how much you love your daughter and how much you're concerned for your daughter, I feel that same way for her. I feel that same way for all of my people. She's my daughter too. And I know you're concerned about your daughter and rightfully so. And you love your daughter and rightfully so. And you want your daughter to be healed and rightfully so. But I want this daughter to be healed. I love her also. I care about her needs. I care about her story. I care about her wants. I care about her fears. I care about her pains. I want to hear it. I want to spend time with her. 
And I'm going to be patient while she tells me her story. And then he says, go in what, church? Go in what? Peace. Peace. That's, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's peace. That's why Jesus is able to act the way that he acts and live the way that he lives and operate at the pace at which he operates is because Jesus has peace. It's what Jesus has, what we need, and what Jesus gives is peace. Jesus has it. He's dripping with peace, with peace. Peace with God, peace with people, as far as it's up to him, peace with people, and peace inside, inside, a peace that passes understanding. Peace happens Peace happens when conflict is resolved, when chaos is resolved, when things are put in order, when there's no conflict, when there's no chaos, when there's no hurry, when there's no worry. Jesus has that, doesn't he? He has peace. No conflict, no chaos, no hurry, no worry. Peace. Peace with God, peace with people, internal peace, emotional peace. Jesus has it, you need it, and Jesus gives it. He gives peace. Go in peace. I've taken care of it. I fixed it. I grant you peace. Whether we know it or not, that's what we need to be pursuing. Is the peace that Jesus has, the peace that we need, and the peace that Jesus gives. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, so he's still speaking with the woman, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Did the delay, did the delay result in this? It's certainly easy to come to that conclusion reading Luke's account, isn't it? Did, did the delay result in this? And, and if you were Jairus, you'd probably suspect so, wouldn't you? If we hadn't stopped, if we hadn't taken care of that, if we hadn't had that conversation, if you wouldn't have taken so long, there are few words that are more painful then you are too late. You're too late. You missed your opportunity. There was a window and it was open and now it's closed and that opportunity is gone. And that's why we hurry so much, isn't it? That's why we hurry so much. In everything that we do, we're afraid we're going to be too late. I've got to get it now. I've got to get it now. I've got to do it now. If I don't do it now, it's going to be too late. And we're so worried. We're so terrified. We're going to be too late. We're going to miss our opportunity. And maybe Jairus is thinking that. This is it. It was our chance. And we blew it. We're too late. We didn't hurry fast enough. We stopped too many times. We had too many conversations along the way. We let other things interrupt us. We had something important to do and we missed our opportunity. And I think so many of us are terrified of that, aren't we? We're terrified. And we live our life without any 
peace, hurried and worried, chaotic, and in conflict because we're afraid we're going to be too late. Look at verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not, what church? Do not fear, only what? (laughs) Believe. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus speaks directly to Jairus' anxiety, and in doing so, he speaks directly to yours. We're not too late. We're not too late. We're not too late. See, this is, if, if you have the audacity to believe this, here's the truth. The truth is, when you walk with Jesus, you never have to be afraid you're going to be ultimately too late. When you walk with Jesus, you can walk at his pace, knowing I don't have to be afraid, I only have to believe. Do not fear, only believe. That if you're walking with him, if you're trusting him, if you're obeying him, if you're doing his will, you don't have to worry that you're going to be too late. Now imagine... Imagine how that belief, that faith, that confidence, that assurance could change the conflict in your life, the chaos in your life, the hurry in your life, the worry in your life. Imagine if we would take Jesus at his word, do not fear, only believe. Verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus. And frankly, and frankly, most of us do as well, don't we? When Jesus says, do not weep, be afraid, only believe, we say, psh, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. You really want me to think you're going to make all of this okay? You really want me to think that ultimately, in the end, all of this is going to be okay? And then things happen along the way. Someone gets even sicker. Someone dies. Someone leaves us. This breaks, that goes wrong, this interrupts us, this falls apart, and we say, see, I told you, I told you, Jesus, if we had just hurried a little faster, if we had just worried a little more, if we had just, if we had just worked a little harder, then this wouldn't have happened. We're too late. And Jesus says, stop, stop. Stop thinking like that. It's, it's not too late. She's just asleep. And if Jesus can do this with death, he can do this with everything. See, because ultimately, this is the truth for all of God's people. They're not dead. They're only asleep. Jesus is going to bring back from the dead all those who've fallen asleep in him. Isn't that an amazing truth? Isn't that an amazing confidence we have? Because we're desperate to hold on to everything. 
And we think if I could just hurry a little faster and I could just work a little harder and I could just worry a little more, I could hold on to all of this stuff. And Jesus says, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? If they die, they're not dead, they're just asleep. I'm going to bring them back. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't mourn or we shouldn't be sad, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Because we know the big picture. We know the truth. Now, if we walk with Jesus, if we walk at Jesus' pace, we don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so Jesus goes to the girl, verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. And he charged them to tell no one what had happened. See, someday, someday Jesus is going to do that with me. Do you know that? Someday Jesus is going to do that with me. Because someday I'm going to die. Unless he comes back first, I'm going to die. And someday Jesus is going to descend. And he's going to say to me, child, arise. And I'm going to get up. And he's going to say, give Wes something to eat. And he's going to do that with each and every one of you. If you belong to Jesus, he's going to say, child, arise and come. Come to the wedding feast. Come. Enjoy the supper of the Lamb. He's going to say that to every one of us. And if we just believe that and we walk with him, imagine the peace. Imagine the peace. Imagine the peace that we would have. Imagine the conflict that we could avoid. Or the conflict that we could resolve. Imagine the chaos that we could avoid. Imagine the hurry we could avoid. Imagine the worry we could avoid. If we would just do not be afraid, only believe. Walking with Jesus means walking at the pace of peace. Walking with Jesus means walking at the pace of of peace. It it doesn't mean things aren't going to go wrong. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go according to plan. It doesn't mean that that your agenda or your schedule or your itinerary isn't going to be interrupted. I guarantee it will. I guarantee it will. And you're going to look and say, okay, Jesus, come on, come fix this thing. Come on, come do this for me. Come help me in this way. And it's going to fall apart. And you're going to think, if I just hurried a little faster, or worried a little more, or worked a little harder, this wouldn't have fallen apart. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. It changes everything. To walk with Jesus means to walk at a pace of peace. It means we can avoid a lot of the conflict with one another. It means the conflict between us and God is resolved. It means the internal conflict that we've been dealing with, the turmoil inside of us, can begin to be resolved. The chaos can begin to be resolved. When we walk with Jesus at this pace, where we say, I trust you, and I'm going to do life your way, and even though it's hard, and even though people laugh, And think it's ridiculous. I'm going to walk with you, Lord. 
at the pace of peace. We commit to that life. We resolve to live that way when we're baptized into Jesus. Where we surrender everything to him. Where we're buried with him. Where we say, I'm dead to me and alive to you. I'm crucified with Christ. And I don't live anymore. The life I live by faith, I, I, live, in, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live my life anymore. I live with him and for him. That's the commitment we're making at baptism. But somewhere along the line, when we make all sorts of plans, and those plans go awry, and our itinerary gets interrupted, and things start to fall apart, and people start to die, and our heart starts to break, we lose sight, don't we? And we need to recommit ourselves to walking with Jesus at the pace of peace. Maybe you're ready to make that commitment for the first time. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to walking with Jesus. Maybe you just need your brothers and sisters in Christ to come around you and pray with you and pray for you that you would not be afraid, that you would only believe, and that you could go in peace. If we can help you this morning, now's a great opportunity to respond. Together we stand and sing.